Hier komen wij in vreemd. You're listening to Red Flag Radio, and we're recording the show on Indigenous land that was stolen and never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Red Flag Radio is a revolutionary socialist podcast that discusses politics, history, theory, activism with people who are participants in the struggle for a better world. And my name is Ros Ward. If you enjoy our show, here's my time to ask for your help. Um, We really appreciate it if you spread the word on social media. And I am announcing today that we have just launched our Patreon account to help fund the podcast and try to make it even bigger and better than it is already. So if you can make any kind of contribution on the Patreon, it would be really appreciated. And you can find that at patreon.com forward slash red flag radio podcast. So it's patreon.com red flag radio podcast. I won't spell Patreon for you. I'm sure you can manage. Uh, so on this episode, I'm joined by Liam Ward, who's the producer of the show, uh, along with me, and who is a socialist activist and filmmaker. And our special guest is calling in today um, from Sydney, Eleanor Morley, who's an activist with Uni Students for Climate Justice and a socialist um, who's based in Sydney and who's been... Hi. Hello, Ellie. Uh, who's been in the fire-affected areas recently, and obviously this is the biggest political question in Australia right now, and we wanted to be able to talk about it as soon as possible. So we're recording the show on Wednesday, the 15th of January. Obviously, things may have changed um, when you listen. So uh, that's our caveat in case we say a bunch of stuff and then suddenly everything is different later. But this is where we are. People are really thinking about it, talking about it. People want to sack the Prime Minister, which doesn't always happen um, in Australia. And there are these massive rallies that have just happened um, last weekend, Friday night, and Ellie is involved in organising the next one of those that's happening tonight, and she's going to be speaking at that rally. Um, so, Ellie, do you want to start off by just telling us about um, some of your experiences? Because I know you've been in some of the fire-affected areas in the past few weeks. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's kind of hard to know where to start in a way. Um, so I've been travelling out to some of the quite badly um, fire-affected towns here in New South Wales to talk to people who have been fighting the fires, um, who live in the communities, who have been directly affected. And it wasn't really until I went out to these places and spoke to people that I've kind of fully understood and felt uh, the impact that this crisis uh, is having on thousands of people across the country uh, right now. Um, so the first place I went to was just after Christmas, a really tiny little village called Balmoral, uh, which is in the southern highlands of Sydney, uh, and got just smashed, like really, really badly smashed um, a few days before Christmas. So I was there five days after the fires came through. Um, and driving in the, into the town was pretty eerie. Um, like I said, it's a small place, so normally it's surrounded by really, really thick, dense uh, green bush. Um, but a few k's out of the town, suddenly it just everything went black. 
uh, you could see right through the trees, which just stood up like burnt sticks out of the ground. And in every direction I looked, it was just black and brown. Um, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. Um, and when I got there, I went to the local RFS shed uh, to try to talk to some of the men and women who had been uh, actually out there fighting the fires the previous week. Um, and I wasn't sure if they were going to talk to me because I tried to talk to some fireys elsewhere, but they have kind of command structures and media representatives and stuff like that. So a yeah. bunch of people kind of politely declined. Uh, but what I found is that in the towns that have been hit the hardest, all those rules are just totally out the window. People are so angry, so angry with how poorly they've been resourced, so angry that they've been left to fight these fires on their own uh, with really inadequate resources that they're pretty willing to talk to anyone uh, who wants to listen. So what sort of pe- people are actually on the front lines of, of the firefighting, the volunteer, remember, um, firefighting service? Like what do they? What are they normally doing? These people working. Yeah. <laughs> so they've stopped uh, or, work. Or they're pensioners. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of them are quite are a bit older, right? Yeah, from my experience, uh, most of the people I've spoken to have been either quite young or quite old. Yeah. Uh, most people, most kind of middle-aged people. Um, there's not many of them there. And they've been doing this for hours and hours, days and days, weeks and weeks of just doing this and not doing their jobs or. Spending time yeah, with months their families. And months. And, yeah, months and months. Because um, they don't just protect their local towns. Uh, when their towns are relatively safe, they travel to wherever the fire is hitting hardest. Um, one guy I spoke to who was in his early 20s, he hadn't seen his daughter for uh, I think it was two months because uh, she lived about an hour drive away He's normally a roof tiler, but he hadn't worked for two months because he'd been out there fighting the fires. So he literally did not have enough money to put fuel in his car to go visit his daughter. He didn't. He couldn't afford to go visit her for Christmas. Like that's the, the kind of things that these people are facing right now. And and in terms of the resources that they have um, in the fire service and also just in the kind of so-called recovery effort like what were they what did they did they have enough fuel and food and basic supplies like that or uh, smoke masks and those kind of things yeah well there's two different sides to it really the first is the um kind of professional resourcing of the firefighters and anyone you talk to will tell you that it's not enough um so people are uh crowdfunding helmets they're crowdfunding face masks. Um, they're asking for new fireproof boots for Christmas. Um, a video did the rounds on social media a week or two ago that showed a bunch of guys in a fire truck uh, with flames bearing down on them from every direction, desperately putting f- uh, fire blankets up in the windows to try to protect themselves. Um and I've since learnt that there are trucks available that have inbuilt mechanisms to do that kind of thing, uh, but they're not available to the RFS, to people fighting the fires in New South Wales. The standards of the trucks here match about the 1930s. So it's pretty, pretty shocking. It's it's a common story across the whole country. You know, this whole 
kind of underfunding of the fire services and, and relying on volunteers. And there was a piece in the Victorian newspapers a couple of days ago about um, one of the brigades out in Gippsland, which is where the Victorian fires have been mostly centred. Uh, they don't even have a fire truck. They're doing a fundraising campaign to, to raise $80,000 so they can have a bloody fire truck. Yeah. 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 A friend of mine from high school messaged me because I've been posting uh, a lot about the fires on Facebook. And she said that her brother is in the RFS in Batlow, which is a town in New South Wales where the apples come from, that has been really badly hit in the last couple of weeks. Um, and she said that her brother and his mates, who are all volunteers in the RFS, were fighting the fires, standing on the back of utes with water pumps with no face masks. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, and it's not just like a, all these sort of individual stories. Like, everyone has the same basic story. Our across the world. So when you talk, um, when you were talking to the, people in these communities uh, like do they want to talk about politics at this point or do they want to just focus on fighting the fires uh everyone wants to talk about the government and scott morrison um how they've been abandoned by the government how the government hasn't done enough for them doesn't care about them and most people want to talk about climate change and look at the bigger picture about why these fires are happening how this is the sad reality is this is going to be the new normal and uh, it, that side of it needs to be dealt with if we have any hope of avoiding this catastrophe repeating itself again and again every summer. Mm. And then so people's views on Scott Morrison then, what sort of things were people saying? Anger, just yeah. like the most overwhelming anger, anger about the holiday to Hawaii. You've got to remember like a lot of the media um, about the fires has been since New Year's Eve, since Christmas, where all the horrific images started up. But these fires started hitting places two, three months ago. Yeah. It was months into that that he pissed off to Hawaii. People are angry about that. Um, and just that he he doesn't care about people. He's not fit to lead. He should not be prime minister. He's abandoned communities. He hasn't helped people. It's just I'm hearing that repeated again and again everywhere I go. Mm. And so, I mean, are people talking about things that would be really obvious that the government could be doing and I mean it just I think internationally even it's people are just sort of staggered by the lack of funding for firefighting the acknowledgement that the um, situation has got a lot worse that the conditions on the ground are worse and yet nothing has changed and that you can still have communities like um, Malakuta where people are trapped on a beach kind of waiting there mm. to see if they need to wade into the water holding their children in their arms. And we're in this one of the richest countries in the world and there's still they're still wait you know, they're, st- they're still in Malaku actually mm. right now and there's still people yeah. who haven't been able to leave um, because they haven't had, you know, no one's come to get them. Yeah. And I feel like that's an experience in a lot of these places, I'm sure, the places you've been like, No one is coming to help you kind of thing. Yeah, and what we need to remember is that Morrison and the government knew that this was going to happen. They were warned earlier in the year that this was going to happen, that the conditions were there for the most horrific fire season we've ever seen. 
that would cause large-scale destruction to the environment, to people and to homes. They knew it was going to happen. They could have prepared. They could have prepared a disaster relief program. They could have beefed up the firefighting service. They could start paying people. There is so much they could have done, even in the lead-up to this disaster, because they knew it was going to happen and they chose to do nothing. Mm. And the thing that I have found really heartbreaking has been the total lack of any formal assistance that people in these towns have received since the fires hit. It's hard to describe. It's like last week I was up on the mid-north coast and I was speaking to some people at this tiny community hall in the Nambucca Valley and in their area uh, one in three homes burnt to the ground Uh, This was two months ago. It was at the start of November. And two months later, people are sleeping in tents next to the burnt-out rubble of their homes. Um, It's been left up to these two women in the community who have no formal training, are not being paid a cent, to run the entire disaster relief assistance in the area. They've just done that because they want to help people in their community but it's just not good enough. And what I heard up there is that, first of all, the the trauma of fighting the fires is so overwhelming. The stories of people facing down 50 metre, 100 metre, 200 metre flames without the right kind of equipment to fight them. This is both firefighters and people just protecting their homes. It's a trauma that's almost unimaginable. But for the people in this community, it's been the days turning into weeks, turning into months, where nothing's changing, no help is coming, that's starting to break them. Mm. And it's that sense that you've been doing, you, you sort of spent hours and weeks and months fighting the fires and then in people's imaginations then you sort of finish doing that and then you go home and you ha- have a bath, and, you know, I don't know, relax yeah. or something. But yeah. there's no, they, these people are, who are firefighters have no homes to go to and are sleeping in tents and living off, you know, donations of food and bottled water and all of that kind of stuff and thinking, wait a second, where is the any kind of government infrastructure or, or anything? Exactly. And people who lost their homes up in this area, they got uh, two weeks of disaster accommodation and then that was it. Mm. Yeah. But in that two weeks, their, their houses weren't rebuilt the entrances to their properties weren't cleared, you know, they were in the same position that they'd been two weeks earlier the day their homes burnt down. Yeah. But they were turfed out and it's kind of, okay, well, up to you now. You deal with it. Mm. And have people been talking about the insurance situation? Like, because obviously a lot of people um, would be thinking, well, you just get your insurance money and you rebuild your house. But are there people who have not got insurance or are worried about being able to claim on their insurance or how quickly that even happens, I guess? Yeah, not very quickly at all is the sad reality. Um, Some people don't have insurance and currently all they're being offered is $1,000 per adult, now $800 per child from Mm. Canberra. For a family of four, that amounts to less money than an MP gets as their living allowance while they're staying in Canberra for a fortnight. Yeah. You know, it's just disgusting. Um, Other people have started to try claim their insurance. 
Some are already getting, you know, a barrage of difficult, complicated questions uh, that suggest, you know, they're trying to look for loopholes here and there. Um, one man who fled his property in his ute only to have a bar fall down a pipe in the front of it. Um, he had to jump out of the ute as it started to go up in flames. He was told by his insurance company that it was still drivable. So we're already starting to hear stories like that, mm. um, and it's only very early on into just the beginning of the recovery process. But right now, people, there's there's no money, there's nothing. Mm. Uh, as well as that, I mean, you mentioned there not just the insurance, but the the government's, the federal government's compensation stuff. You know, one thousand dollars per adult, etc. Um, you know, this stands starkly at odds with the amount that's being thrown at businesses. So people who have, you know, small business owners or big business owners, people who have lost a business are getting up to $15,000. One of the things, the reason I raise that is because one of the themes I think that runs through this whole crisis and the response to it is that it's drawn out this kind of, you know, the class lines have been drawn very sharply. All of the media coverage and everything the government says is about compensation for businesses. Nobody is talking about workers who are now unemployed because the place where their work has burnt down and they've probably lost their home as well and the best they can get from the government is a thousand bloody dollars. Yeah, and the Small Business Association that the um well the business association were on the radio today talking about how they want to use the special exemption in the industrial relations sort of um, framework that says you're allowed to just stand down employees mm. if it's a situation that's not in it, sort of un um, that's out of your kind of control. So basically, they're they're saying we can just lay everybody off who who works for any of these businesses, mm-hmm. and the owners of the business get all the cash from the government, and then just get to keep it for themselves. So that's yeah, that is a contrast, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, go Ellie. I was just going to say, yeah, we're already hearing stories of people who haven't been able to work for months either because they're place of employment has burnt down or they just haven't been given the normal work they'd get over summer, uh, applying for the measly allowance the government has offered, which is 13 weeks on New Start, uh, not receiving it, sometimes because they're told they don't live in a bushfire-affected region, mm. even when there's burnt houses standing next to them. And these people have to pay rent. Mm. They have to put food on the table. They have to make mortgage repayments. We're already into months and months of some people having no employment at all. And I guess, I mean, it's probably, it'll sound like a stupid question, but people are not saying, oh, well, fuck Scott Morrison, but at least there's the Labor Party. Yeah. (laughs) You know. I mean, the polls have come out to say that people now think Albanese is a preferable leader to Scott Morrison, but you could have probably put a lump of shit mm. there and said, which do you, <laughs> you know, who do you be, what's the difference between Scott Morrison and a bucket of shit? The bucket. You know, it's that kind of situation where people are not saying, oh, but like, if we can just get the ALP elected or the Greens or something, it just seems to be this political vacuum at the moment. Yeah, and like I said, a lot of people are talking about climate change, a yeah. lot of people. And Albanese, even right through the midst of all of this, just has again and again reaffirmed his commitment to the coal industry, to Gina Reinhart, to the mining bosses. But we know it's these people that are destroying the planet. 
it's this kind of industry that is responsible for the catastrophic fires that we're living through right now. But he wants to go out of his way to say, no, I support you. If I'm in government, don't worry, I've got your back. Yeah. And that people are allowed to go on holiday to Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's allowed a holiday. And then and in Victoria we've got Daniel Andrews, the so the so called socialist, you know, leader of the state government mm. saying, I think Scott Morrison's doing an excellent job. And the yeah. Victorian people appreciate it or whatever. And the other big the other big plan that Albanese had was to bring back national conscription, remember? Yeah. Yeah. So that's not exact. That's not going to be popular. No. Um, so in the in the light in light of that kind of political vacuum, then um, it seems, uh, yeah, uh, it's like how many times can you say something seems like wild? But uni students for climate justice, this new, um, more radical kind of climate activist organization, called these protests for last week, and um, there was a lot of pressure really not to have the protests and particularly in, in Melbourne mm. where there was this all this beat up about the police and all of that kind of stuff. But how was it received in Sydney? Did you feel under the same kind of pressure to not protest and we all should be just thinking thoughts and prayers and um, recovery and donations and all of that kind of thing? Yeah, not at all. Um, it's been amazing in Sydney because for us it actually started at the end of last year because um, Sydney was – first blanketed in thick, poisonous, choking smoke in November. Mm. Um, So Uni Students for Climate Justice called a rally in early December about the fires and about the smoke and about the government's inaction, which got about 30,000 people to it. None of us were expecting that kind of response. It was just mind-blowing. Um, and then that's been backed up again last Friday and beaten. It was, you know, it's one of the biggest demonstrations I've ever been to. There was at least 50,000 people there. Um, and the Facebook events just have hundreds of people commenting, yes, we need to sack ScoMo, can't wait to be there on Friday. You know, thousands of people are making the most amazing creative placards to bring along that must take them hours to paint. Like there is such a angry mood of defiance here right now and people want to do something, you know. People want to come out and express how angry they are at the government, how desperately they want action on climate change, you know, how much they support the the people in the towns that are affected right now. It's been wonderful. Yeah. And what was the mood like at the actual demo? You had, what, how many... 40,000, 50,000 maybe on Friday? Yeah, it was like an angry celebration because the the, the protests, they're just so angry. It's actually one of the best things about them um, because, you know, people can see who is to blame here. This is not just some natural disaster. This has been socially constructed and people are responsible for it and they should be held to account. There's so much anger. But I think everyone in that crowd, myself included, was just overwhelmed by the sheer size of it. It was so joyful to get there and then, you know, more people start arriving, uh, slowly filling up the space outside of Town Hall, and then suddenly there's just thousands of people bricked in in every direction around Town Hall. Yeah, so we had the same thing in Melbourne of of thinking it was absolutely pouring with rain. I think probably the whole time I've lived in Melbourne it hasn't rained that hard Mm. that consistently for like four hours. And we were like, is anybody going to come? What's going to happen? And I think everyone was just sort of sheltering in various places. And when it got to like five to six, 
this crowd just suddenly emerged and everywhere around and all across the road and all the front of the State Library and all down Swanson Street. It's just this sea of, of people. And I think yeah. everyone had that sense of like, thank fuck for that. Like there are people who are going to do something about this and we're here and we, you know, can have this sense of collectively being extremely angry but also like pleased that something is happening. Yeah, and there were so many different kinds of people there, like, you know, people who have been to every environment rally this year, people who protested against the Iraq war, people who have never been to a protest in their life but just knew they had to come out to this one. Mm. And w- the protests were calling to sack um, Scott Morrison and there's there was some debate about that. I mean, why do you think that it was important to have, to have that as a as a demand of this and continue to demand that? I think there's a few reasons. Uh, Like I said, that's the anger out there in the public right now. People are really angry with Scott Morrison. He is the so-called leader. Um, You know, he's the prime minister of the country. He was the one that was getting, like I said earlier, who was warned that this was coming, who willfully chose to do absolutely nothing, uh, who pissed off to Hawaii in the midst of the worst national crisis we've seen in decades. People are angry with him right now um, and he should be held to account for what he has done, you know, for what he is responsible for, which is the destruction that I've just been seeing out there in these communities for weeks. And I think it would be a massive political crisis for the government as it should be. You know, they have no authority to um, or they should have no authority to rule over this country after what they've just been responsible for. I think it would be a massive, massive victory for the climate movement and heading forwards uh, if the person who, you know, everyone is out there saying is responsible for this was actually properly held to account for it. Mm. And it's not like we think that that would solve things, obviously, but it's it's very common and if you look at the international kind of wave of struggle that's going on, it's very often the case that the first thing that, a movement demands in a situation of crisis like this politically is that the whoever it is who's the head of state or the prime minister should um, should go and should be forced out of office. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, you suddenly think that that's the way to change the world, but it is something I think that um, as socialists, even though we think we need a revolution to overthrow capitalism, like building on that public anger and having a target like Scott Morrison, who deserves to be the target of people's anger, and rightly so. Um, and if he can be sacked, or if he can, you know, if he is forced to resign, which is more likely the kind of outcome, then that would be a big step forward, and people can start to think, yeah, we can actually do something. We can apply the kind of pressure to start changing things. And actually, the protest movement had an immediate effect. The first protest that you talked about in Sydney. Um, the day after that was when Scott Morrison first announced some of the increases in funding for the um, fire service and the New South Wales government as well, I think, also immediately said, okay, there's actually more money here than you th- than we thought there was, you know. So it's having that impact as well, I think. Yeah, and he was forced to draw the link between climate change after that rally. Yeah. And we wouldn't stop with Scott Morrison. If we sack Scott Morrison, we're going to keep fighting the next one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess what the the media wants to do now, desperately, uh, as it does sort of represent kind of the interests of, of the ruling class and the 
coal industry and especially the Murdoch press particularly who've been under quite heavy um, critique for their lack of coverage of the fires. You know, the front page of The Australian has basically never had anything on it and, mm. and the yeah. commentary and all of that, the climate change denialists and and all of those kind of things. But I think even the ABC and stuff, the, the coverage has definitely changed towards recovery and um, donations and which celebrity donated the most amount of money and all of that kind of stuff. But it seems to me that it's, it's going to be difficult to try to just pretend that it's kind of it's getting it's going to be over because the smoke pollution that we've got in Melbourne today, but it's going to keep going everywhere. The smoke actually is going to go all the way around the world yeah. and come back to the same cities in Australia where it started from. It's incredible. The fires are not going away. Um, the political consensus around coal and fossil fuels is not going away, and that kind of paralysis around what to do with this kind of scale of of a fire disaster I think is doesn't seem to be going away so it's going to be really difficult I think um to move on from this what would you say sort of as people are angry and wanting to do things what do you reckon would be some good things to be involved with right now well I think first of all uh people should keep mobilizing there's a lot more protests coming up uh right around the country like you said after this uh interview. I'm heading um, down to Circular Quay in Sydney for our next protest here. There's more coming up this weekend. Uni Students for Climate Justice is going to keep calling actions um, as the summer goes on. Um, But then all the stuff you said is true. Even when the rains come, even when these fires go out, this disaster won't be over. It won't be over for the people who have been hit by it over the past few months. And it's not over for all of us with the future climate crisis that we're facing. This is the first serious taste of it in this country and it's not going away and it's not just going to be um, kept here to Australia. There'll be more bushfires, there will be floods, there will be earthquakes. We're starting to feel the climate crisis and we need to, we need to start mobilising, we need to start fighting. So I'm a socialist. I'm not just a climate activist. I'm a socialist because I think capitalism is responsible for this. I think it's the endless pursuit of profit at the expense of absolutely every other consideration, whether that's environmental considerations, whether it's human considerations, that is responsible for both the crisis we're seeing around us, but also the way that our rulers are responding to it. Mm. So I think people need to get involved in broader struggles as well. You know, we've got to draw the links between all the different evil things that are happening in the world right now and try take the challenge to capitalism as a whole. And if people have any doubt that, that profit comes first in all of this, uh, they should look at what Morrison said. Uh, he gave a press conference yesterday uh, where he's talking about um, the recovery. And he said uh, he, he gave thanks to all of the people around Australia who have been so generous with their donations. Uh, but it was this kind of, you know, uh, you know, mealy-mouthed statement of of support for that because what he really wanted to say, and he went on to say, uh, was to encourage people to stop donating goods uh, to the areas that have been ravaged by fire because, and this is his exact words, when you do that, you're just undercutting the businesses that are trying to sell products in those areas. Yeah. You know, like even when people are fucking homeless and starving and other people want to reach out to them with solidarity and gifts, you know, uh, they say, no, you can't get that unless you're willing to pay for it. That's the whole basis. Yeah. The other thing 
In terms of how this is ongoing, it's true what Ellie said about that the, the climate crisis itself is ongoing and capitalism is ongoing. The other aspect of this that continues after the rains come and the fires have burnt everything they can possibly burn is that question about who pays for the recovery. Already we've had politicians saying everyone needs to be prepared to pay more for their fruit and veg and their meat. You know, this is to people who might live in the city and apart from choking and dying on smoke, haven't been directly affected by the fires. They're now getting that hardship on top of, you know, an increase in the cost of living on top of a general freeze in wages that's been rampant over the last few years. You know, so these are people who are already struggling, who are now being told, we'll suck it up, the cost of living is going to go up. Part of that, part of our response needs to be, I think, to say, you know, the money is there for to make the rich pay for this. You know, tax the rich and they can pay for the recovery. After all, it's their fucking climate you know, they're fossil fuel businesses that caused this crisis in the first place. Yeah, I mean, Gina Reinhart could just pay for it all out of her own personal pocket without exactly. noticing. I mean, any of the big capitalists in Australia could. And I think that what Scott Morrison is saying there about the donations is basically don't undercut the entire basis of capitalism mm. because if you scale that up, it's the same reason why millions of people starve around the world when there's enough food to feed them. It's because they don't have the money to pay for it mm. and because you can't just give people food because if you start giving people food, then you're undercutting the market and the way that, pe- that profit is made and that's the whole basis of the whole system. Yeah. So he's really sort of drawing back the curtain on the mm. kind of the expectations of, you know, we'd rather actually people didn't have a blanket and were cold mm. or didn't mm. have their house rebuilt than somebody stops lo- losing their ability to make profit. Like that's sick. Yeah, and it says a lot about the world that we live in, doesn't it? That all these people around the country and internationally who don't have very much themselves are going absolutely out of their way to try and help people who they've never met, who they're never going to meet. They're sending food, supplies. I've heard so many things, caravans, you know, caravans for people to live in on their properties while they rebuild. Like people are going out of their way to send things, money, donated goods to help people because they're good and decent. But then the people who actually have a lot, the people who run these businesses, the government, the climate criminals, they don't want to give anything. They want these people to keep paying for it. Or they give money in a way like Twiggy Forest and it's like Twiggy <laughs> yeah. Forest donates tax money write-off. that mm. is a tax write-off and then goes back to like the Twiggy Forest Foundation or something <laughs> like Yeah. Meanwhile making heaps of money on the welfare cards that mm. in- indigenous people, if you're in those communities, you're on the car- the basics card. You can't use it yeah. because there's no power mm. on the F plus machine. So therefore tough luck you can't eat either. Mm. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay, so Ellie, we sh- should finish here um, and let you get down to the rally. Um, so uni students for climate justice, you don't have to be a uni student, by the way, to get involved and with, <laughs> All those, welcome. with those groups. All the welcome. We can, yeah. Uh, so the Facebook page is sort of the main place to get information, but there's also like a sign-up um, form, I think, online. And then there'll be more rallies. I know in Melbourne that there's definitely rallies in the, for the next couple of weeks at least. Is that the same in Sydney? Yeah, yeah. So we've got one on tonight and then another one coming up in a couple of weeks, which yeah. you can find through the Facebook page. Um, is there anything else that we've missed that you wanted to raise from your travels or experiences? Just that for me, there's been two really obvious sides to this whole disaster. One is that the people who are responsible for ruling over us, 
don't care about us. Mm. They're willing to watch people burn. They're willing to watch homes burn down. And they don't want to step in and do anything to help. But that ordinary people are just a million times better than that. And we're told so many things, so many lies. We're all self-interested. We're all so selfish. We don't care about anyone else. And it's all bullshit, you know. When push comes to shove, it's people like you and me and those listening who are actually there to help and organise collectively. Uh, And the people with money and the people in power are the ones to shut the door in everyone else's faces. It's just everywhere I go, it's the same story in front of my eyes again and again. Yeah. Well, um. Good luck with the rally tonight and speaking at it. I'm sure it'll be fantastic and I hope there's even more people than last time and they're even more angry and I hope that we can see the end of Scott Morrison, frankly, and then in the future the end of the whole entire rotten system of capitalism. Thanks for coming on the show, Ellie. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks, Ellie. Liam, and um, you're listening to Red Flag Radio. We have a world to win.